0: Hello, I'm Ricky.
1: And I'm Joe. And this is season five, episode four of the Beer and Broadband podcast, slated to come out on April 25th, 2022, uh, which is tomorrow, because <laughs> uh, we were kind of slacking and we didn't get this recorded ahead of time. Uh, but today uh, we are going to talk about the Thunder Cookie Gingerbread Stout that I brewed over the holidays. Uh, I know I kind of talked about it last uh, last Christmas, but we haven't actually gotten to taste it. No, know both of us have had this before, too. So, uh, Ricky, what are you tasting notes, man?
0: I think we... Did we talk about this one before? I don't know. I certainly drank it several times. But that might have just been you shipped it over with me.
1: Uh, I but. I gave you some at Christmas, but yeah. we never talked about it on it, the podcast. It's
0: pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm not as big a beer guy as you are, but this is a pretty good stout. It's not, like, overly sweet, but it's not, like, super dry. Got those kind of, like, calmly brown notes going on with it, but also some spices. So you get, like, some vanilla, some ginger in there. You know, um, it's a gingerbread stout that takes your mind to gingerbread cookies. It's obviously not, like, quite that light and sweet to them, but you can definitely, like, you get that earthiness. You get that kind of like you know whatever that gingerbread spice is you know whatever that mixture you kind of you feel that in there
1: yeah absolutely Uh, so it's uh, made from boom chungalug and it is six point well the company that sent me the kit for it It, I didn't make up the recipe Uh, but it uh, it's 6.2% ABV uh, once it finished you know Going through and doing its thing, uh, which was, you know, a nice, uh, I think, balance of alcohol by volume to uh, the spiciness, like you said. Uh, I have not taken a sip of mine yet. I was sitting here getting distracted and stuff. So, anything else you want to say about the beer? No, it's pretty good. I mean, it's smooth. You brew
0: it well. There's not really like any off flavors to it.
1: Well, it's also been. Like,
0: been chilling out for I've, a while, think,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's it's had some time to to rest. Um,
0: yeah, cause I think the last time I drank this was in January. I drank a couple of bottles of these. I forgot I saved one until you asked me to check. I yeah, had one in on the back I'm, of the fridge.
1: That worked out really well. Since we couldn't like be together in person, uh, it worked out a whole lot better this time. You know? I, yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the things about it is it's got like a nice color. It's really nice and dark for mm-hmm. for a stout. Uh, which is as it should be the it has even though it doesn't have the um it doesn't like keep the head for like ever like a nitro stout wood or something like that, it still has like a nice tight carbonated um head to it uh that came out really well and i i don't know man i I love this thing it's uh it's one of my favorite beers that I brewed. But I'm also ai like really dark, you know, beers uh, overall.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is one I could I could consistently drink. You know, I'm not a big beer guy, but I like dark beers more than I like you know, the lighter colors of beer just because those tend to be a little bit more bitter. But you know, I think you did really well with this one. Yeah. My personal opinion.
1: Yeah, well, it's got some uh, it's got some nice like dark stone fruit notes to it, and some just some overall good flavors if you because you can buy these off of amazon or you can go to boom chug lugs site and and buy them there i'll I'll put a link in the show notes uh for it but the um if you want something that's got a little bit of like uh, plum notes and maybe or some date notes you know something like that um so it's got those kind of Nice fruity stone fruit kind of notes, and then on top of it, you want something that's going to, you know, have like some ginger and kind of remind you of a gingerbread cookie. Uh, That that's what this this beer is, and I don't think they sell it any other time other than uh, during the uh, holiday seasons. But if, if that's something you're looking to do, it was a pretty quick brew. It wasn't hard to make. You can buy it in extract or whole grain kits until I get like some sort of Anvil Brewer or something like that. I'm I'm sticking to extracts for a while. So, yeah, ended up being pretty good. Not unpleased with it at all. So, the Steam Deck, it came out, man. And I'm probably not going to get mine until like July to September. (laughs) Because <laughs> that's what it says on the on the page, and I'm disappointed. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of sadness in in my heart over this. Did you reserve one?
0: I did. I I've just been lazily waiting to get an email about it. I haven't been keeping up with it.
1: Yeah, if you go to Steam's like main page, they have a a, a thing saying you know when you should expect to get your email uh, on the the Steam Deck page, and that will tell you when roughly you should be able to get one. I've been okay. watching all of the like press releases and stuff like that, and i'm I'm sad uh, i mean uh, but i i okay, I'm sad, but it's also it's gonna it's it's fine, you know, I'll get one eventually. I just was hoping that when they say q two it it would be a little bit you know early q two yeah, that that like reviewers and everybody would get theirs, and then you know, towards the end of q two I would get my my email and be able to get it, but so many people um, just can't get there. You know, just just they haven't got the the email, they haven't got any of the stuff. So it's understandable, but uh, with all the crap that's happening in the world, a little joy would have been nice. I mean, I still have my Wii U Mini and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, PS Vita. So so it's a. It's a um, luxury item overall but yeah i was hoping to get one
0: yeah my wife is pretty hyped up for hers whenever it uh makes its way to us yeah
1: Uh, you could always go spend the uh the money for like uh you know ay and odin or uh you could get something like that i mean those are all like super expensive compared to the steam deck for the most part yeah yeah so uh,
0: of course from what i've heard you know the steam deck has been performing pretty well for the people that have it so that's a that's a definite plus, considering some of the past hardware releases from Valve haven't been the smoothest.
1: Are you talking about the um, the VR headset that they released wasn't you know as deployed because their their controllers and everything I think did pretty well. Um,
0: their controllers at uh, the beginning had some pushback. I think they fixed that design later. Their Steam Link as well. Um, We kind of had mixed performance, depending on what you did. You know, their their VR headset stuff has actually always been pretty good.
1: Yeah. Uh, But that's not all in one. So, I, you know, I got the Steam Link and the controller, like, you know, I was one of the first people to get it. I don't remember having any issues with my controllers or Steam Link. I I mean, and, of course, I kept mine wired in. I think most of the, the things that people were complaining about, though, were wireless performance with the steam link anyways i don't remember overall but yeah yeah i mean you're right yeah some sometimes their their hardware partnerships and things like that they die pretty quick um,
0: yeah a lot of the things they really get in and make themselves generally tend to do pretty good so we'll mm-hmm. just see i think you know i wasn't surprised to hear the steam deck were doing well yeah you know, obviously i reserved one and i'm kind of happy with that yeah. But it, it was that breath of relief. It's like, okay, I, my wife is you I'm know, gonna buy one. How much do they cost? It's like, well, you just can to reserve it for now. I'll reserve it. I'm not sure I'll commit to to buying uh, something that expensive until I know it works. So I'm glad to hear that people have been really enjoying it.
1: So here's a a, a thing that's kind of semi related to this. What do you think about all the you know, we got economic and you know. Crazy problems happening throughout the world, mm-hmm. uh, supply chain shortages, some some things happening that seem to be more like faults, uh, scarcity claims. Uh, you know, with with a lot of kit that's out there. Um, you know, what is it that? that' are the the economic state that we're in right now that not what is it the economic state that we're in right now seems like the global economy is starting to kind of become segmented again so that you have like localized economies or national economies that really drive things and I guess my question to you is uh, twofold one we've had this globalized economy for so long. What does that mean for technologies just like the Steam Deck and things like that? Take the gaming aspect out of it, but what does it mean for that? And is that is that a positive or a negative overall?
0: Hmm. You know, I think there is something to be said for both arguments. On one end, cheap manufacturing overseas is just that, it's cheap. Didn't necessarily low quality, but it's a hell of a lot cheaper than doing it on the western side of the world. But there are all those concerns, right? Like there's the reason there's a great firewall China. It's the reason that a lot of companies have to get their parts made at like five or six different places, so that none of them all have a complete kit, unless you're, you know, someone like Apple who can afford to buy a lot of privacy. You know.
1: Well, also, that's that's got to do with the supply chain, too, right? Well,
0: yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, one hand, yes, if you are just Joe Company and you need to get something made, it is cheaper to get it made in China or, you know, really pretty much anywhere past Europe in the East than it is somewhere in what's generally considered the Western world. But you are very, very dependent on that supply chain. And, you know, companies don't really have significant stock anymore. I forget what it's called. You know, that's that thing Walmart kind of pioneered. Just in time delivery, I think is maybe the right term for it. Yep. You know, where there there used to be, when I was a young lad, you go to a store and there's something that was on the shelf. You'd go to the quote unquote back and they generally had it and they'd bring it out. Well, there ain't so much of a quote unquote back anymore. You know, most stores only have an extra like, couple days worth of stock. They expect things to, you know, run out on Monday and show up on Tuesday on the truck. You know, they get a couple days worth of supplies at a time. But it's the same thing for most electronics and everywhere else. And, you know, that's also a cost-saving measure because owning these big warehouses and making a bunch of equipment, you don't know you'll necessarily sell. You know, that stuff costs money. But again, you're super reliant on this supply chain to always show up in time. So, you know, it's, and we saw this in the beginning of COVID, right? I think maybe that was a better example because that was less, we weren't getting things to the stores and more people were just buying them so quickly. But, you know, you get all these massive outages because there isn't any extra. They have what they think they'll sell in a week and they get a new shipment next week. So if anything disrupts that, there's just not the product anymore. And that loses a lot of money to companies. So, me personally, I'm kind of for a lot of domestic production. Because even though it's a little bit more expensive, you're going to be able to more reliably get it. You know, it feeds those local economies a bit better. But, you know, I guess maybe I'm in the same place you are with the question. When we're in this world where things aren't showing up and shelves are empty in a lot of places... You know, you can't get, you know, manufacturing set up overnight, but are more companies really going to be thinking about it? We've already seen the tech side. There's like three more chip manufacturers setting up stakes in the U.S. You know, a lot of that electronic stuff is starting to come home. But What about the other stuff? You know, textiles used to be huge in the South. Not anymore, but they could be, you know, we still have a lot of the materials you know, we'll... Grow a lot of stuff here in the u s and ship it off to be actually you know processed somewhere
1: else and then come
0: back. I ain't mean, so easy to do anymore
1: yep the I mean even with all of the well the, so there's some things here that I think not being a conspiracy theorist or anything like that uh just playing out there's patterns that happen, and we know that people do. Like weird stuff they take advantage of things um, and sometimes in a bad way and it seems like companies ha- have taken advantage of oh the pandemic or oh the worker shortage or oh the you know whatever to sometimes artificially raise prices um, or to to be able to cause these kind of outages so that they can inflate the price of their stuff because their costs haven't necessarily gone up. Um, it's not like, it's not like somebody who, um, makes toilet paper, um, like suddenly ran out of the materials that it costs or that it takes to make toilet paper or something like that. Um, and and there's it's more complex than that. I'm 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 just making a very simple example of of what I'm talking about. But you know, if we're just looking at like groceries or um, consumer electronics or anything like that, there's a ton of stuff that has gained in price, while other things that still use those same components are you know m- able to sell at a reasonable cost and i wonder if some of it is that you know we've we as a global economy have you know kind of set our we've not decentralized enough of our manufacturing you know um if we were smart we probably and even if it costs a little bit more um we probably would have some manufacturing in America, in uh, you know Texas and, and California and other places like that. We kind of move it around, have some in Canada, have some in, in South America, and then have like depots that like you know kind of put those things together. I think one of the one of the real problems that we have is the race, the race to zero or the race to the bottom. Uh, where people are just trying to essentially outsell each other, and then they'll raise prices afterwards. And the they're trying to rely on just the market bearing their, their greed um, at, at the time that they want to raise those prices back up, not really realizing that they've kind of created a situation where people you know they they can't afford or they're driving like an inflationary uh situation or you know something like that and um and you know and then you have things like every company that sees one company profiting in some way immediately tries to jump on that bandwagon without considering the impact of doing that to the larger scale of things that are out there, you know? So streaming is a, is an example of that where every company is trying to get some sort of streaming app out there that they can get subscription fees out of. But I mean, the whole point of screaming streaming is it's supposed to get away from cable, the cable subscriptions. And now we've just got cable plus a whole bunch of extra BS on top of it. Mm. Um so the global economy's kinda like that too. Like we we made this thing, this one like monolithic thing that had all these compartmentalizations, but it basically like, you know, kind of worked together. And, you know, like you said, you know, we are looking at places where the stock of anything is only like, you know, a couple of days old and in a region you've only got about ninety days worth of stock to like support that whole area. And the companies and the governments that are looking at that are are just kind of like, yeah, whatever, it's no big deal. You know, we'll be able to continue to make that happen. But they're not thinking about the long-term impacts of those things. They're only like immediate today. So I think if we're going to go back to having a non-globalized economy or the globalized economy is going to change, I actually think that that's a very good thing. Um, even though it's going to be super painful right now. And from a technological perspective, which is what we generally talk about here, that probably means it's going to be hard to get some of the cool technologies that are coming out from these big companies that make those things, but it does give room for other players to come in 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 smaller or larger markets where those companies haven't set up an infrastructure that's local to those markets, right?
0: Um, yeah in some regards definitely in places that are mostly software driven because you know yeah. if you don't have to be competing with the big boys for particular like pieces of hardware I'm thinking like a lot of home automation stuff and things like that um, there's definitely a much more accepting market for outside of the big names you know you know but you hit on a good point of like the the race to the bottom and i think that is what's really done a lot of damage to the economy today compared to like the economies our parents had and our grandparents had you know this idea that you build a product and if you build it to last forever well you don't get repeat customers so you know things have switched over to things are a lot cheaper now but it'll last as long right Yep. so you know you go out like my grandmother she bought a couch when they moved into their house. They had that same couch her entire life, lasted like 50 years. I've never had a couch last more than six or seven before it needs significant work on it. And you know, granted dollar per dollar, her couch was really expensive because it was made by like, there's some good old boys, you know, that ran a furniture shop. It wasn't this big mass produced, cost cut down in every corner they can kind of thing. But the problem is once you switch people to that mindset that like, look, we were talking about earlier, I'm moving into a house, I'm going to buy a dish set. I don't expect this to be something that lasts forever. I fully expect those plates to chip after a year or two. So when I'm looking at price, I care a lot more. Oh, is this other set really similar, but it's $20 cheaper? Y'all probably buy that cheaper one because they're not long-term investments anyway. So I think this makes that kind of like negative feedback loop, right? Like they're trying to make things cheaper to help their bottom line. But the same points that no longer has sort of longevity products used to have. I'm not willing to spend as much on it. And so they're racing to the bottom to have their side cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Because if they raise their prices too much, I'm not going to buy their product anymore. Because the quality of the product's not getting better. Some might even say this negative feedback loop is causing, like, the quality of products get worse because they're making more and more concessions to try and make it cheaper and cheaper. And so, you know, you're right. Even outside of any of the supply chain stuff and things like that, I don't think that's a sustainable trend. At some point, you know, there's going to have to be that adjustment where, okay, because inflation or whatever, prices are just going to have to go up. This thing that used to be, you know, 30 bucks at Target, it's now 40 bucks at Target. And I mean, if the quality doesn't get better with the rising prices, unless it's a necessity, people aren't going to buy it. It's not like wages are keeping up right now or have been for the last like 20 years. So, you know, at some point you start pricing yourself out of what people will accept.
1: Yeah, and I think I I think that it's probably better to have something that is more sustainable overall than it is to have something that gets you the maximum amount of profit right now.
0: And yeah, that's and that's a really that's a really good point as well, right? I was I forget who I was watching, but I was listening to this guy talk about product manufacturing and like what makes a good product, a bad product, what makes you a good company and a bad company when you're developing products and things like that. And one of the things he brought up is that like, you know, everything in the world is made of mass. And there's only so much mass. So whatever product you're making, you know, even if it's not offensive, even if it's not like, that you're just egregiously polluting or something like that. Like even if you're following like greed guidelines and stuff like that, if you are building a low quality product that people aren't going to buy or it's going to break or it's going to have other issues, you are taking mass from the planet. That might not easily be gotten back. You know, if the kind of product you're making isn't super recyclable or anything like that, i mean even if they are you're still taking resources from the earth and putting it into something that you can't really get back a lot of times so at the same end if you're building something that's cheap and it's a piece of junk and it's going to break in a couple of years even if it's cheap like the metals you took out of the ground you get a really responsible you know consumer maybe they'll try and get it recycled they can just end up in the ocean somewhere, you know, thrown across some trail, you know, doing damage to the environment. And you enabled that by making a product that people didn't want to actually use. You know, that's just like physical waste you've produced into the world that is your unfortunate product.
1: And I mean, it's it's easy for us to think about the world in terms of software and, you know, these services that we provide and subscription services and all that stuff. But the fact of the matter is that you can only have so much of that before it hits a um, a critical mass. And then you can't, it, it just kind of can't exist anymore. Um, and when that happens, you either have to make things cheaper or you fall apart. And uh, so you either end up selling the same like kind of thing that's made of lower quality for less because you're still trying to you know keep your high margins or your high profit, you know or whatever it is that you're trying to do, or you end up having a a, a kind of situation where, everything just kind of falls apart you know and if we don't really consider those things as we're going forward as a society we're just we're gonna have some problems (laughs) yeah well you know
0: we we live right now in a world that is mostly driven by luxury what i mean by that is if you look at the type of jobs people have if you look at the type of products they consume most of this, of this work at least in the western world at least you know well i should maybe even just say america because i don't know as much about the european job markets and stuff but the average person if you just pick them up off a shelf they work in some type of service you know they're working in retail they're working in food they're working in entertainment they're working in you know the average person is not a producer you know they they provide a service as being there as a person you know what i'm saying yeah and you know you look at history not the case most through most of history people were producers and not on grand scale you know we i know we've talked about before that like you know our grandparents they had farms yeah they weren't necessarily servicing a community, but they were feeding their own families. They were producing their own stuff. And we've moved away from that, you know, first kind of into factories that were local and then factories that are no longer local. And, you know, most people work some sort of job that's really about kind of just shifting money back and forth between people like less I'm, I'm buying this product for you that I need this product. It's not something I can make myself. You know, one of the biggest things my family spends money on is like going out to eat. You know, we live pretty tight, but we still, you know, go out for date nights once a week, order pizza. in every now and then that sort of stuff like food, we could make it ourselves, but we're paying someone else to make it for us. And then, you know, tips for delivery drivers and, and things like that. And that really only works when there is disposable income, right? Like if suddenly I lost my job, I'm not feeding that in that income into the economy anymore. I'm not going to be ordering pizza like once a week if I don't have disposable money. And you already see that in a lot of poorer communities. And you know, as inflation goes up and as things get tighter and as we're having these discussions about like, hey, maybe the way that we're doing supply chain and product isn't really sustainable. Like at what point do you hit that critical mass that when like, hey, no one's really getting paid enough anymore, at least in a large enough number, to support some of these industries. Right. Like even really big healthy industries. Like my sister, you know, she works up in New York City. She's in entertainment. When COVID hit, entertainment was the first thing to go. Yeah. People couldn't go out places or they suddenly didn't have the money to go out places. And that that industry is still reeling over there because people didn't have that luxury anymore. And so that makes more people that don't have income, that they can't spend on luxuries. And that just kind of like piles and piles and piles. So, you know, that's kind of what's top of my mind. I was talking to my wife about that. I'm like, look, our parents' generation didn't necessarily have things easy, but they had different concerns. Parents' generation didn't really have to struggle as much to get a house, education was more valuable, the ratio of income to cost of products was better. You know, people were moving out in their early 20s, getting houses. They were okay. Those houses now cost, like, if you're in a p- poorer area, four times what you paid for them. In richer areas, 10, 10x plus sometimes. Yep. Our generation, pretty much mandatory to have two people working unless one person's like a really high earner. Yeah, my generation kind of getting the housing. It's split up, people my age right now. About 50% have a home, 50% still live with family, and that will hopefully get better as we, you know, cause it's kind of those late 30s, early 40s that are your really money-making years. But like my daughter, what, what's it going to be like when she's, you know, 22, 23, entering the world? What sort of jobs still exist? What is that, you know, how much you make versus how much it costs to live somewhere? You know, we're going to get addition put on our house. One, just to make it a bit larger for us. But two, I have two master bedrooms, just in case. You know, when she's that age, the answer is well, we're back to multi-generational housing because things have gotten so expensive. So you know, yeah. maybe that's a downer message to say on the podcast while we're drinking beer. But I, I do think you're right in that we are we are at a point something has to change. Now, I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if it'll even change for the better. But uh, the current lifestyle of the Western world does not match the economy we have in the Western world. So something's going to have to give. Either we got to yeah. find a better way to do the economy or, you know, we're looking at a, you know a nice recession, depression, whatever you want to call it. And I think it's going to dial back a lot of where people are spending their money today.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, we have so many things that we put so much value in that are worthless. Um, Entertainment. I mean, you were talking about that, and that's an industry and everything, and there's people that work in it, and, you know, but art and entertainment and things like NFTs and stuff like that, they're not exactly worth a whole lot. I mean, video games are kind of the same way. costs like 70, 80 bucks to get a video game right now, right? the the worth that that actually has as far as like what i can't eat a video game it doesn't like get me prepared for a job necessarily and maybe there's some educational one out there you could argue that but ultimately you, you that that system only exists because you have the disposable income like your people have to have the disposable income to keep feeding that system Yep. The moment that, that you start taking, like you leech and you eat that that disposable income away and you you keep them from having that is the moment that your system fails. Um, yeah,
0: because as soon as an industry fails, then all the people that worked in that industry, they don't have income. And, you know, it's just that loop. Yep. You can go in and say, look, you don't gather much value out of certain systems. But if they're still employing tons of people as soon as that system's gone, you know that guy serving popcorn at the AMC, he's still got to do something, And you know it uh it is going to hit that interesting point, you know and I, you know I think when we were younger, right, in like the 2000s, the fear was, hey, look, automation is going to take everyone's jobs. like if you're not technical, you're you know eventually a robot can do your job. that's not really what we've seen i mean there certainly is automation but i mean what we're really seeing is just the jobs that people would do to make good middle class money you know production factory things like that they just don't really exist in large numbers anymore and those jobs have been replaced by you know service industry, industry entertainment industry little things like that I shouldn't call them little things, because I mean, those are big industries. But you know what I mean? They're, they're not as well paying and they're not as stable. Because, you know, if you work in a factory, even though it's hard work and it's not necessarily, you know, it's a trade. It's kind of like being an electrician or a plumber. You know, it doesn't pay quite as well as those, but it's a, it's a physical task. It will take some wear on your body. So, that, you know, I can understand a lot of people don't want to necessarily work those jobs immediately, but those were stable. Cause you know, if it's not being shipped somewhere else, people still need whatever bulk goods you are creating. If you work in a textile mill, people still need clothes. You know, if you were working in like chip manufacturing, I mean, everything <laughs> takes chips now, right? I remember yeah. during the pandemic, they did this nice drone shot, just these thousands and thousands of new cars. And it was about why are used cars becoming so expensive? those new cars were finished and they were all waiting for a single chip to get installed that they didn't have.
1: Well, I mean, that's that's not really you know the pandemic. That's now. <laughs> that's well, yeah. Right the the video right I watched
0: was during the the pandemic. You yeah. know, it was like late twenty twenty.
1: Yeah. Well, I it. mean, that uh, we say during the pandemic, but even though we're in a different phase of it, it's still happening right now. I mean, people are still catching, you know, probably not as many uh, there definitely aren't as many people dying from but it's still happening we're still having to be c- careful and things like that so yeah but i, I think we're in that phase impact. it's it's life now
0: <laughs> in 2020 yeah, there life. was talk of when this is over and i think uh most people have realized that there is no real end to it right. you just have to get on with your life as best you can
1: yeah yeah absolutely uh, well that that's kind of what i'm saying like it still is a, it still exists though. Like this, this pandemic is something that we're, it's like having diabetes or something. We as a world have now got, you know, cancer or diabetes or whatever it is as just a populace, (laughs) you know, uh, whatever like terrible thing that we're having to deal with that just is, you know, and we've been able to mitigate it to some extent, but that wasn't really the topic. I just I, I, uh, it plays into it because just like you were saying, the that they were saying, well, it's because of this. Maybe, but also maybe it's because of the greed of people. That's not the root cause. That's a yeah, catalyst well, that triggered you know this thing happening. It's not the root cause of it that caused us to be in this like tight yeah uh, exactly
0: there's there's so many things that go into it and even outside of that i mean uh, i think you talked about netflix earlier you know netflix has just massively dropped in stock price because it's had one quarter in its entire existence that it lost subscribers quarter to quarter right and it dropped like 25 percent and people aren't doing that i mean 90 percent of stocks are not owned by individuals are owned by these big trading companies and they trade it to make profit yep and so that's also part of like the unhealthy market we have right because if you're a company and you know if you have a single quarter where you produce less than expected that your company will tank in value by 25 percent well you're probably going to work real damn hard to make sure you never make less money quarter over quarter
1: yep and you might even fudge some things to make sure that you don't
0: Yeah, you might import. do some things that maybe are not not illegal, but not as morally sound as they could be to make sure your company still survives. Because you're beholden to people who just hold your stock purely to make more money off of it. And you know, that can uh that leads to its own problems, right?
1: Yeah. And and I mean, as people that I do own stock, I I want that to help me garner some wealth um but not like that like i don't want yeah. to wake up in the morning and look at myself in the mirror and be like man you know today i'm gonna make sure some old grandma doesn't get her pension you know or
0: you yeah know. i think the average person looks at stocks as, as an investment vehicle it's like i don't need this to make me money every day i need it to be more than it is now 10 years from now and i'm ready to do whatever yep um and a lot of places don't well since ninety percent of the market, I guess, doesn't really think that way. You know, if you made them extra money that quarter, you're great. If you didn't, I'll go find somewhere else to invest my money. And that leads to this very negative view of look, everything's gotta be super profitable. Oh, can I make this this thing five percent cheaper? Awesome. I'm gonna do it. I don't really care what that means. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. I mean, exactly. It's a the I, I'll be able to to make a profit and I don't care and I'm you know, my my company is gonna be a worth fifty billion dollars or five trillion or whatever it is. And that's just that's just the sort of stuff that I mean at that point what are you doing? <laughs> like that you're just doing that to keep other people from being able to get there. You're not doing that to like to to sustain anything or anything like that, you've gotten to the point that you know you're not you're not going anywhere, right? Um, I mean, it's kind of like this thing that Disney and Nintendo do, right? They talk about like their intellectual properties and all this other stuff, but ultimately, they did all this crap in the eighties and sixties and thirties, you know to to you know get themselves to the point that they're kind of on top. And now they're afraid of someone else succeeding enough that they may one day be on top also, you know? Um, Instead of kind of being like, hey, you know, if I promote you and and I'm generous and I do all these like good things, you guys might actually also do well. And that like, you know, brings us all up a little bit. No, instead, you know, oh, I don't want you streaming my video games. I don't want you, you know, doing this or doing that. And I mean, ultimately, yeah, it's their content. It's their right. And sure, that's that's fine. But that doesn't mean that they're being moral or good or kind or you know any of those things with the with that stuff. And I think the these companies that do these things, they they're kind of the same way. They're just They're not thinking about the impact of what it will be to the average person, and they don't care about that. What they care about is getting, you know, 15 million more dollars this hour or whatever it is that they're trying to get, you know. And while that can be good in some times because you need focus, losing the forest for the tree or losing the tree for the forest is generally... um, bad ultimately um what good is it to have all the money in the world if there is no world what good is it to be a a a soulless company who uh you know makes massive amounts of profits and able to get all this stuff if you like basically eat the people that are investing in you or that are doing all these other things so i mean that's that's the same thing with the global economy it just it's just kind of fallen over. And one of the reasons that I, I put this, we we've we've talked about this for like thirty five minutes. and, and I, I think I should put some context here. One of the reasons that, that we're talking about this is that as professionals working in this this landscape, we make this many times. You know we're anyone that's listening to this podcast, that's listening to it from the technology standpoint is probably listening to it because they work in i t or some sort of IT tangential thing, and or maybe at some point they might have some sort of say-so in how things go, and if you forget the people that you're working with, your technology just becomes meaningless. Your tech could be great. No politics. I don't I don't care about, like, whether, like, who the person in the White House is or I mean, I care, but not like from the standpoint of what I'm talking about here. Um, This is just a kind of flat and simple thing. You know, if you've got stuff that's happening in the world and it is keeping you from being able, you might be getting wealthy off of it, but it's not promoting everyone else to also do well, you're going to be alone at the end of it. There's not going to be anyone else to be there with you to enjoy the fruits of that labor. Even if you want to bring them along, they're going to be struggling so much to like continue on that that they're not going to be able to go alongside of you. And so, you know, if you're trying to make some sort of tech or software or something like that, is it is it worth your time? To just take a moment and go, okay, how is this impacting the other people that are around me, and can I actually like do something positive with it, instead of does it just make me profit, right? Um, I, I guess is the the ultimate like kind of context I'm trying to put this in. And from a global economy, we kind of screwed that pooch as a as a you know big tech uh, uh, society. Uh, we've, we've looked at all this stuff and we say, you know, we're, we're going to continue to be able to make profits. We're going to get people to invest in our companies. We're going to have like all these rich people run our companies and stuff like that. But, you know, we don't give enough credit to the Steve Wozniak's and the, um, what was that engineer guy that made the, um, the Coke machines for, um, uh, for like McDonald's and stuff like that. Uh, shoot, I forgot his name, but he was just like, he is a brilliant engineer. Dean Kamen, that's his name. He's a brilliant engineer, does all this great stuff, Um, but one of the things that he did was he wanted to make potable water machines for people that couldn't get clean water, you know, so in order to do the thing that he wanted to do, he had to, like, kind of make a deal with a a company that had the supply chain to do that. I mean, all those things, they're like good and admirable. And we just don't, we don't really like put enough emphasis on those things as the things that we should be looking up to. Instead, we look up to people that maybe we shouldn't like, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or somebody like that. And while there's things that we could learn from them, Steve Jobs got a whole bunch of credit for like Apple's success and things like that, but really there would be no Apple in half of the things that they developed, especially in their early formative years, if there was no Steve Wozniak, right? Mm-hmm. And Wozniak was really the genius who created like all the stuff. I'm not saying Jobs didn't have a contribution, but the contribution was probably disproportionate uh as far as like credit got because steve jobs got all the front-facing stuff you know he was able to like stand out there and stand in front of everybody and pull the ipod out of his pocket and everybody loved him for it but the the fact of the matter is that you know the engineers were the people who came up with that stuff and they're kind of faceless and in the background and nobody's like learning about them and trying to replicate them and stuff like that and that's probably sad I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. Hopefully, I'm not <laughs> I'm not too far off topic. Um, I'll let you rain me in a little.
0: <laughs> no, but I understand where you're going with it. You know, there's a lot of sitting in front of the world and saying, "Look, look at all these great things we're doing." But when you really get into fine tooth comb of things, I mean, how are a lot of these people really doing all the good they say they are? You know there's there's a kind of sinisterness to the way like marketing works in the world right you come in hey here's this great product it's all good don't look at how many times we've been sued for something bad we did don't look at at this over here I mean I forget who it was I'm not gonna say the company name because I I don't remember who it was I mean it's a big name but there's a ton of those that have gotten in trouble for this but like just this year, a company who, for like six years, has been saying, "Don't worry, guys, we're not going to use child slavery and labor in this country anymore that we get our product from we're we're we used to do it, but not really because they were employees they were they weren't slaves come on guys, and we're we' we're gonna stop doing it and then like in the pandemic, they' come said, yeah, yeah, you know what no." Uh, not this year. Too expensive. We can't find a way to keep our products without making children go out into the fields and pick whatever it was. Forget if it was like a chocolate or a coffee or something like that. Yeah. And that's just what it was. Their Their commitment to no longer doing child slavery just stopped because they couldn't make it cheap enough otherwise. You know, and that's that's where that hits, and you don't see that stuff. You don't think that stuff. Same way with, like, you know, a lot of water companies are buying water rights to, like, giant water reserves around the world. Yep. You know? That's a little scary.
1: I mean, that's Nestle. That's what Nestle does, right?
0: Yeah, Nestle. You they're mean, not, they're not the only ones.
1: I, I know. They, they're just the ones. Yeah, talking
0: yeah about. Nestle did a lot of stuff in, like, California, all, all over the world. But, you know. Right. On the flip side, how many, how many how often do you buy this bottled water, which isn't even special? That was my favorite little tidbit I learned um a couple years ago is that unless it like specifically says it is from like a particular like area, particular springs or certain things like that, those aren't like protected terms. So a lot of you're like Purified special healthy water is just tap water from whatever city the yeah. distributor is set up in, and they run it through a water filter. Like, if you've got Brita at home, you're producing the same, same stuff that's in, you know, half of these name bottles yeah. of water. Yeah. And then we're flipping back to it now, though, of like, how much plastic are we producing to fill bottles of water up with tap water?
1: You know? Yeah yeah exactly exactly it's just uh it's just a cycle of greed and insane. yeah, and they hide it from people I yeah
0: mean, I, or was it the vitamin water one that was a good one a lawsuit of like i forget who made the vitamin water it was like one of coke's products or something like that but uh the,
1: the it had some, some vitamins in them. it yeah
0: yeah well one particular one got sued that's why i don't remember which one it was but one of them because you know it's got all this sugar and flavoring and stuff in it Um place they got sued for it for basically making a health drink that wasn't actually healthy. And uh they got the case thrown out because they were able to convince the judge who in the world in their right mind would think vitamin water is healthy. Like you hear the word vitamin water and you and you think health, that's crazy. You're insane. Uh which is not true. I think almost everyone hears vitamin and thinks healthy and that's why their marketing team called it vitamin water after doing all their studies, you know? But they purposely made a product that's not good for you, advertised it as good for you. And then when people said, hey, that's not actually good for you. You've done damage to people. They said, oh, you know, no, we didn't. You guys are just crazy for thinking it was healthy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the story. That's the, the, this is just the reiteration of everything that, that we said since we started this topic. Because people are, I mean, there's always going to be some unscrupulous people, but because people are not able to really decouple themselves from this stuff, we're just kind of trapped in it. It's our responsibility as people who may have some sort of power over that to make sure that we're not abusing those people. I mean, we already have laws that... When someone's got mental health deficiencies or things like that that if you found out to be um, abusive to those people or taking advantage of them, you know you suffer a penalty kind of almost the same same sort of thing that globally we should be doing to companies uh, and some some countries do have some things that kind of slow that stuff down uh, but ultimately we're not really doing a as a global society we're not doing a really great job of limiting those things yeah
0: there's there's definitely stuff we could do especially like in the western world like i like um we've got this little mexican market right next to our house and we like to buy for like mixed drinks and stuff the little bottles of the mexican coke there's really just regular coke made with cane sugar instead of high fructose corn syrup but that thing imported from mexico there's no english on that bottle is covered in little stickers and warnings that are like, there's so much sugar in this, excessive calories, be careful. Yep. You know, you don't see that over here. I mean what we were talking about earlier before the podcast, I'm looking for, for plates for my house. And I'm looking at this website, and it's like, oh, here's this all new material. It's great. It's cheaper than glass, but doesn't chip and all this stuff. And I Google and the first dang thing is like FDA warning. And it's like, okay. I was like, oh, well, you know, when it's in a plate, we don't think it gets on the food. But, oh, man, if you have any in your food, that's a big problem. You need to not be doing that. It's like, okay. So this new material has just come out. That's already saying, hey, yo, don't ingest. But I'm going to put my food on it. You know, it reminds me of all the, hey, look, leaded gas is so good for you. Leaded paint lasts so long. Asbestos is the best insulation. No, tobacco actually helps you stop coughing. Yep. You know, uh, and like, you're not trying to be anti-advancement, you know, new materials are great, but at the same time, how am I going through multiple websites comparing these plates? And nobody wants to tell me of like, oh, hey, this is actually what it is. Because, you know, I saw the name for it, but none of them want to elaborate that it's a dangerous chemical plastic, but it's safe if it's food grade. Yeah. You know, just ignore that. It's cheaper. You, you can get it cheaper than you can this other stuff. And it's still really strong.
1: <sighs> On that note. I think we should end the podcast here. It's so sobering. I want to go drink some whiskey.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've already finished my beer. And you're right. When we do these remote ones, we get going. It's been like what an hour on the recording almost.
1: It's been it's been fifty six minutes that we've been recording. Yeah. Um, By the time I get done with my spiel, it'll be over. You know, it'll be over Mm -hmm. an hour. So, Um, yeah. I mean, this is so. This is the thing, though. It's a great talk. I hate to like end it, but I'm also kind of like, yeah, we probably should probably should wrap that up you know just just because we had another topic i was going to talk about about chromebooks and gaming on them but no that doesn't fit in anymore. next time more fun we'll we'll
0: re revisit steam deck and then we'll we'll connect into the the google chrome get the chromebooks out
1: yeah i mean i've got one over here i definitely could pop it out and like do some stuff with it um but anyways man so uh this has been oh and i forgot my notes this has been season five episode four of the beer and broadband podcast we have twitter and patreon and stuff like that that we generally have linked in our show notes we'd love for you to like engage with us in any of those locations otherwise thanks for watching and we'll catch you next time